0: God bless and greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. We're again in the book on God's behalf. The introduction of Zophar, Job chapter 11. And in Job chapter 11, verse 1, we read, Then answered Zophar the Naamite and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be justified? These are Zophar's words to Job. Should thy lies make men hold their peace? And when thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed. Zophar thought Job to be full of hot air, and someone who liked to speak many words. But to take his argument against Job even further, he says the reason that he cannot hold his peace is because of the lies that Job is told. He felt it his religious duty, albeit not a duty received from God, to set Job right. Zophar enters into the discussion with an even more caustic attitude than his other two friends. No doubt he was frustrated that Job could defend himself against Ilpaz's and Bildad's pretended wisdom, and this incensed him, so that from the moment he begins to speak, it was not love nor compassion that compelled him, but rather only his own unrighteous anger, a personal anger, that Job could not be humbled. Bensonon verse 1. Then answered Zophar, the Naamite, how hard is it to preserve calmness in the heat of disputation? Illipaz began modestly. Bildad was a little rougher, but Zophar falls upon Job without mercy. Those that have a mind to fall out with their brethren and to fall foul upon them find it necessary to put the worst colors they can upon them and their performances, and right or wrong to make them odious. Zophar, highly provoked that Job should dare to call in question a maxim so universally assented to as that urged by his friends, immediately charges him home with secret wickedness. He tells him that he makes not the least doubt were the real state of his heart laid open, that it would be found God had dealt very gently with him, Job 11, verses 2 through 7, that he was highly blameworthy to pretend to fathom the depths of divine providence, a task to which he was utterly unequal, that, however his wickedness might be concealed from me, yet it was open and bare to God's all-seeing eye. Could he therefore imagine that God would not punish the wickedness he saw? It would surely be far more becoming in him to submit, in reference to Job, and give glory to God by making an ample confession and full restitution. In that case, indeed, he might hope for a return of God's goodness to him. But the way he was in at present was the common road of the wicked, whose only hope was annihilation, quote. It shall be seen that when men are not governed by love and a true desire to help those afflicted, then malice and self-righteousness will often fill the soul. It is common also when men are self-righteous themselves and have their arguments and or decisions in their life rebutted, that bitterness enters them. This seems to be the case with Zophar as he is incensed that Ilipaz's and Bildad's words are easily rejected by Job and did nothing to change his opinion. The unrighteous anger that fills Zophar has for its cause that he thinks himself, as well as his other two friends, superior to Job. When men think themselves as higher than their fellow man, and especially in religious matters, then their words will be dispersed with indignation. True religion is the opposite of this. For one of the first evidences of a renewed mind is to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. The core of man's sin against God has always been men thinking themselves to be bigger, wiser, and more virtuous than they really are. Matthew Henry now on Job 11 2. Zophar attacked Job with great vehemence. He represented him as a man that loved to hear himself speak, though he could say nothing to the purpose, and as a man that maintained falsehoods. He desired God would show Job that less punishment was exacted than he deserved. We are ready with much assurance to call God to act in our quarrels and to think that if he would but speak God, he would take our part. We ought to leave all disputes to the judgment of God, which we are sure is according to truth. But those are not always right who are most forward to appeal to divine judgment. Quote. God's word states that it is the truth that should be obeyed and not unrighteousness, indignation and anger that lives in men. Romans 2.8 But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but rather obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. Those then not under the yoke of truth will obey the sinful, hateful, and fleshly nature within them. When sinners also have not strong arguments against the righteous, exaggeration and blatant lies will be brought in with the hopes that this will strengthen their case. Hence, if a man truly desires to see himself as superior, then not even perverting the truth will be beyond what he will do to justify himself. Yet in reality, what Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar accused Job of was true of themselves. They had claimed they had come to help and comfort Job, but ultimately their actions demonstrated a much different motive. Just because a man may feel he has the urge to speak and give an answer for something, does not mean he should. There are many times that God's word instructs us to be silent, even if what is being spoken or done against us is wrong. Jesus held his peace before the high priest after the two false witnesses accused him, teaching us that when claims are absurd and outlandish, when also brought by our enemies, then the best repudiation is to say nothing at all answering a fool according to his folly, ultimately only giving him more grounds for conceit. Hence, whenever men lie and bring false claims against the brethren, it is common that the Holy Spirit will instruct those attacked that divine silence is the best defense. The Lord shall fight His people's battles, and His people need not think that they must fight every battle themselves. To think that we have to answer anything and or everything spoken against us is an improper assumption. We should be careful also not to ask God to correct our neighbors when in fact it might be ourselves whom God is really dissatisfied with. It is true as well that the more Job and his three friends speak, the more they strengthen God's case against themselves. The scripture warns all men to study to be quiet and to do your own business. The reason is so that we don't get so caught up in others' lives that we forget to examine our own. 1st Timothy 4:16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continuing them. For in doing this, taking heed unto yourself and God's word, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Concentrating on ourselves and obeying God's word spoken to us, will be proven to be one of the best ways to help others also be saved. As busybodies rarely save anybody, Proverbs twenty six seventeen. He that passeth by and meddleth with strife belongeth not to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. Job's friends had taken the role of being judges when in fact they would have been better advised to remain students. Consequently, By putting themselves and their low wisdom into a matter which was far above their own pay grade, they really only brought disgrace to themselves. And though they spoke of Job as thinking himself innocent and pure, the truth was this is how they viewed their own lives. It was also their judgment of Job that sealed their own condemnation. Had they been quiet and merely stayed and prayed for their friend, then God's anger would not have been directed towards them. Verse 4 now of Job chapter 11. For thou hast said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in thine eyes. These words, or the sum of them, are also repeated by Elihu. Job 33 verses 8 and 9. Surely thou hast spoken in mine hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words, saying, I am clean without transgression, I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. What is different is that where Zophar sought to bring accusation against Job as reason for his calamities, Elihu's motives centered on seeking to bring Job to again having fellowship with God. The lesson to be learned is that it is not always what is spoken, but who and the manner in which they speak, which allows the sinner to hear the truth. So that while Zophar sought to incriminate Elihu sought to get Job to see the truth of himself so that God might forgive him and bring restoration to his life. Where one Zophar sought a verdict and condemnation and nothing more than this, the other Elihu sought clearing Job of his confusion so that union with God could again be obtained. This is why though Job rejects Zophar's words, he does not offer any repudiation to Elihu's godly correction teaching us that if men are also not truly godly themselves, they shall do nothing to help turn a sinner's heart to repentance. Who we are will determine, therefore, how much men will hear us, an account that it is God working through us, and not simply our own fleshly conceit. Elihu's correction also added the proper element of truth, which was absent in Zophar's address. Verse 10 now of Job 33. Behold, he findeth occasions against me, he counteth me for his enemy. In truth, Job did to God what his friends were doing to him, asserting blame without any true understanding of the situation. It is one thing to defend our faith when it is challenged with insincerity by men like Elapaz, Bildad, and Zophor, but quite another thing to lay charges against God because we think ourselves as pure. When men also think themselves overly pure, they shall esteem anything that happens to them as outrageously wrong. Their high opinion of themselves, blinding them to believe that only good should come to them. Self-righteousness, therefore, will conclude any negative thing, even when it is according to God's will, is an act of divine injustice. Job chapter 11, verse 5 now. But oh, that God would speak... And open his lips against thee, and that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom, that they are double to that which is. Know, therefore, that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. Zophar's words are presumptuous, for he assumes that if God would reveal Job's true heart, that his sins would be double. Zophar also arrogantly speaks for God when, in fact, God was speaking absolutely nothing through Him. It has been highly presumptuous for any to assume and worse yet declare what God thinks when the truth is, the Lord has said to them nothing at all. Whenever men do this, they are uttering vain prophecy out of also their own devilish and ignorant heart. Ezekiel 13:2: "Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel, that prophesy. And say thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts, Hear ye the word of the Lord. It is therefore a great sin to speak something out of our own heart and attribute it to his coming from God, when in fact God has not by inspiration revealed anything to us. Attributing human imagination as a substitute for divine revelation is a great sin and should be avoided no matter how tempting it may be. Benson on Ezekiel thirteen two, Song of Solomon, of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel. So they called themselves, as if none but they had been worthy of the name of Israel's prophets, who were indeed Israel's deceivers. Say unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts, according to their own fancy, without having received any revelation from God, The true prophets often denounce God's judgments against the false ones, laying to their charge many misdemeanors in their private life and conversation, and upbraiding them for their unfaithfulness in the office they undertook of declaring God's will to His people. Woe unto the foolish prophets, ignorant and wicked, and who, while they willfully deceived the people, unthinkingly brought destruction upon themselves." Observe, reader, foolish prophets are not of God's sending. Those whom he sends, he either finds or makes fit for his work. Where he gives warrant, he gives wisdom that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing, who utter their own imaginations for true prophecies and pretend to have visions when they have never had any. O Israel, thy prophets, not mine, Are like the foxes in the deserts, hungry and ravening, crafty and guileful, deceitful workers, who craftily insinuate false doctrines into weak and unstable minds, and greedily catch any appearance of advantage to themselves. If a man then has not direct revelation from God in a matter, he should judge nothing until Christ comes to make all things clear and manifest. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Barnes on this verse in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Judge nothing, pass no decided opinion. The apostle here takes occasion to inculcate on them an important lesson one of the leading lessons of Christianity, not to pass a harsh opinion on the conduct of any man, since there are so many things that go to make up his character which we cannot know, and so many secret failings and motives which are all concealed from us. Until the Lord come, the Lord Jesus at the day of judgment, when all secrets shall be revealed and a true judgment shall be passed on all men who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, the secret things of the heart, which have been hidden as it were in darkness. The subsequent clauses show that this is the sense. He does not refer to the deeds of night or those things which were performed in the secret places of idolatry, but to the secret designs of the heart, and perhaps means gently to insinuate that there were many things about the character and feelings of his enemies which would not well bear the revelations of that day. The counsels of the hearts, the purposes, designs, and intentions of men, all their plans shall be made known on that day. And it is a most fearful and alarming truth that no man can conceal his purposes beyond the day of judgment. And then shall every man have praise of God, The word here rendered praise, aphenos, denotes in this place reward, or that which is due to him, the just sentence which ought to be pronounced on his character. It does not mean, as our translation would imply, that every man will then receive the divine approbation, which would not be true, but that every man shall receive what is due to his character, whether good or evil. So Bloomfield and Breschensider explain it, Hezekiah explains it by judgment, croesus. The word must be limited in its signification according to the subject or the connection. The passage teaches that we should not be guilty of harsh judgment of others. Two, the reason is that we cannot know their feelings and motives. Three, that all secret things will be brought forth in the great day and nothing be concealed before that time. And fourth, that every man shall receive justice there. He shall be treated as he ought to be. The destiny of no one will be decided by the opinions of people, but the doom of all will be fixed by God. How important is this, therefore, that we will be prepared for that day, and how important to cherish such feelings and form such plans that they may be developed without involving us in shame and contempt, end quote. Verse 7 now of Job chapter 11. Canst thou... By searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? It is as high as heaven. What canst thou do? Deeper than hell? What canst thou know? Verse nine now the measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he cut off and shut up or gather together, then who can hinder him? Here Zophar speaks flowery thoughts of God, when in fact He was greatly removed from possessing any true wisdom of the Lord. That which Zophar asks of Job to consider, he himself neither knows nor can do himself. Job himself had uttered similar thoughts of not being able to search out God when he confessed that what God did he could not see. But this is not so with religious hypocrites. For questions to them have their primary purpose, lifting up themselves while seeking to bring shame on others. We will see later in Job's response to Zophar that there was nothing new that Zophar brought to him that he did not already know. This is why Job rightly mocked Zophar along with Eliphaz and Bildad in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 2 now. No doubt, but you are a people, and wisdom shall die with you. When then men also think themselves as intuitively wise They possess no real wisdom at all. 1 Corinthians 8, 2. If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. True wisdom, if man truly possess it, will therefore know that whatever it does know falls greatly short of what should be known. A wise man, knowing that what knowledge he has gained in his life concerning either God or living is far below what should have been or could have been learned. How common also it is for men to hear something previously and then ascribe it as wisdom coming from themselves. Hearing truth that another man has spoken, but then portraying that it comes from oneself. Those also who cannot think deeply must steal the wisdom of others to make themselves appear wise. Israel's false prophets practice this deceit often. Jeremiah twenty thirty. Therefore, Behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbour. Ellicott on this verse in Jeremiah, that steal my words. Another note of the counterfeit prophet is found in the want of any living personal originality. The oracles of the dreamers were patchworks of plagiarism, and they borrowed not as men might do legitimately, and as Jeremiah himself did from the words of the great teachers of the past, but from men of their own time, false and unreal as themselves. What we should call the clique of false prophets went on repeating each other's phrases with a wearisome iteration. In my words, we have probably the fact that in part also they decked out their teaching with the borrowed plumes of phrases from true prophets, quote. Those who have not the spirit of God in them will panhandle the truth given to other men as their own, foolishly thinking that if they say the same thing or copy another's manners, that they shall be able to gain the same praise and respect as the true messengers of the Lord. Job chapter 11, verse 11. For he knoweth vain men, he seeth wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? Where Zophar had stated that God could not be searched out by man, Now he states that God is able to know vain and wicked men. And this is exactly what Zophar believed Job to be, both wicked and vain, which is the complete opposite of who Job really was. These are strong charges held forth by Zophar, charges also that stem from no true revelation given to him from God, but only from his own imaginary and puffed up mind. When then men are full of themselves... They will take on the role of being judges for God, when in reality, God has said nothing to them at all. Benson on this verse, verse 11. For he knoweth vain men, though men know but little of God, and therefore are very unfit judges of his counsels and actions. Yet God knows man exactly. He knows that every man in the world is guilty of much vanity and folly, and therefore seeth sufficient reason for his severity against the best of men, he seeth wickedness also; he perceiveth the wickedness of evil men, though it be covered with the veil of religion. Quote. The vanity and emptiness spoken of by Zophar did not lie in Job's religion, but in his own. A hypocrite, therefore, will not hesitate in speaking lies, ascribing others as vain in their teaching of God, when the truth is. That is their own teaching that God despises. Zophar thought his religion as holy, but Job's is vain. Yet in the end, the opposite would be proven true. So much so, that though God reproved Job for his wrong thoughts of God, the Lord did not even speak directly to either Zophar or his other two friends. Their condition of being filled with religious pride, prompting the Lord to not even consider them worth talking to himself. It is also often the case, when God resists the proud, he will refuse even talking to them directly. Verse 12 now. For vain men would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt. Other translations give us a clearer understanding of Zophar's words, the NIV. But the witless can no more become wise Than a wild donkey's colt can be born human. The Berean Study Bible. But a witless man can no more become wise than the colt of a wild donkey be born a man. and the NAS. An idiot will become intelligent when a wild donkey is born a human. Benson on verse 12 now. For, or, yet, vain men would be wise. Man who since the fall is void of all true wisdom pretends to be wise. And able to pass a censure upon all God's ways and works. Born like a wild ass's colt. Ignorant and dull and stupid as to divine things. And yet heady and intractable. Such is man by his birth. This evil is now natural and hereditary. And therefore common to all men. Of consequent it is not strange. If Job partake of the common distemper. End quote. Job chapter 11 verse 13 now. If thou prepare thine heart, and again, these are Zophar's words to Job, and stretch out thine hands towards him, if iniquity be in thy hand, put it far away, and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. For then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot. Yea, thou shalt be steadfast, and shalt not fear, because thou shalt forget thy misery, and remember it as waters that pass away. Zophar decrees that if Job would repent of his vanity, then his countenance would be changed and he would soon forget all his previous misery. Simple men often casually conclude that complex problems may be handled with simple solutions. Perhaps also Zophar was the last to speak simply because in the group of his other two friends, he could not even distinguish himself among them. General exhortations also do no good If sin is not correctly identified, giving someone vague revelation also will do nothing to help them in their specific troubles. Verse 17 now, and thine age shall be clearer than the noonday. Thou shalt shine forth, thou shalt be as the morning, and thou shalt be secure, because there is hope. Yea, thou shalt dig about thee, and thou shalt take thy rest in safety, also Thou shalt lie down, and none shall make thee afraid. Yea, many shall make suit unto thee. But the eyes of the wicked shall fail, and they shall not escape, and their hope shall be as the giving up of the ghost. These are elegant thoughts of Zophar, yet God had inspired none of them. The proud of heart often promised that God's blessings will come when in fact the Lord has said nothing at all. It is true even today That many false prophets promise both revival and blessings, which never materialize. Words are cheap, and those who casually use them do nothing to encourage real faith in God. Matthew 5, verse 36. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. It is not men's words which can control any of God's actions. To think so is a very dangerous path to walk on. Again, simple men give simple solutions and then infer that by implementing them, there shall be fantastic results. In truth, Zophar had received absolutely no revelation from the Lord concerning Job's future. He had been given zero communication that if Job followed his guidance, That God would bless Job and bring about all that Zophar had said God would. Counterfeits consistently do this by leading men to believe that by hearing them, then grand results will follow. Yet God's true prophets will be proven by the Lord not letting their words fall to the ground. Something that Zophar could never claim in its false reproof of Job. 1 Samuel 3, 19, and we'll close with this. And Samuel grew... And the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. Amen.